This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14, Episode 7. This is Writing Excuses. How weird is too weird? 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Margaret. My friends used to call me How Weird. Oh, oh they really did. We're starting this How podcast. Weird is Too yeah. Weird. Yeah, yeah. that's oh, sorry. Oh. No. We that too. was like fourth grade. That you? was fourth grade and junior high. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, uh, we're going to theme this again. This is our year of world building. So we're talking about how weird is too weird specifically in our world building. And let me just ask, how do you, and I kind of want to bounce this off Margaret first because she's the one we've heard the least from regarding these topics. How do you balance the familiar and the strange in your, uh, your storytelling? Well, it depends to a certain extent on the media that I'm working on for that particular project. But in television, one of the rules of thumb that I sort of inherited from my training and my experience is the idea that you get one buy. Like, Early on, you're setting up, you know, the beginning of your film or the pilot episode of your show, and you get to ask the audience to believe one big thing, and everything else has to sort of follow on from that. Um, a show that, uh, I mean, just had an example of a show that no one has seen because it never actually turned into a TV show, but I was working on a show called Day One for NBC, and the buy for that was these giant alien monoliths suddenly erupt out of population centers all over the Earth, and this is the vanguard of an alien invasion. It would have been a really cool show. But that's the one thing we get. We don't get that and armies of flying elephants and dolphins can now talk. Like, you get the one thing, and past that, everything either has to come from those monoliths and the alien invasion, or it's got to be rooted in the familiar world that the audience is already going to be familiar with. That's and, you know, really there's, there is a flip side to that coin that that gets cited a lot by apologists and whiners of all flavors. And that's, you know, oh, you can believe in a universe that has dragons, but you can't believe in a uh, sword that cuts through a horseshoe. Well, you didn't say it was a magic sword. A sword can't cut through a horseshoe. I I will totally believe in dragons because they gave me, that was their one buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they want to tell me that dragons cut through horseshoes, that's fine. I can probably absorb that and say that their one buy is Magic exists, and that includes creatures, mm-hmm. but you have to pay attention to this. You don't just get you don't just get to throw these things down because, oh, hey, it's magic. Yeah. So let me ask you, Margaret, would you take that same perspective on fiction, the one by, or would you kind of say that's a, a short form uh, television thing? I think it depends a lot on the expectations of your audience, you know, and the genre that you're writing in. When I'm working on book burners, this is very much designed to be in the vein of something like X-Files or Warehouse 13. And, you know, it's that urban fantasy sort of setup. So the assumption is that the world works basically the way we assume that it does, 
but also there's this encroaching magical force that is coming into the world that causes this. We don't get that and the major power, you know, and the Vatican doesn't exist. You you can only shift around so right. many things before it starts to feel arbitrary. And what you want to do is make sure that you're setting your audience up in a way that they know where they're standing and what they're doing. Okay. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really good point. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, China Mieville, mm-hmm. like with the, the new weird movement, the, the basic buy is stuff is going to be weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have women whose heads are bugs, not the head of a bug, but their head is a bug. Uh, but gravity works the way gravity works. Electricity works the way electricity works. So if if the if China were attempting to do stuff is going to be weird. I'm not going to explain the physiognomy of any of these creatures, but and also gravity doesn't work the way you think it does. That would be too too biased. So I think that that you can do kind of a blanket buy in terms of this is sort of a genre expectation thing. Right. Yeah. Say so I'm it's, thinking of like hitchhikers, right? Where the there is not one buy. The buy is nothing will make sense, but it will be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think Jeff, genre expectations are a big deal here, right? When you write, you pick up an epic fantasy that's a thousand pages long. It's secondary world. You are going on board for. I'm going to get a lot of world building. Mm-hmm. When you sit down to watch a new show that's been pitched to you as a science fiction thriller with a singular hook premise. You want that premise to be the focus of the show, not and then this other thing. Well, you brought up Hitchhikers. I assume you're talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the yes. Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so much weird. And the reason they get away with it is that the narrative voice would take some of the weirdest, you know, hey boy, this came out of you, came at you from left field. I'm going to now use this, use the opportunity to explain it Mm -hmm. as an opportunity to be funny and to satirize something that you didn't see coming. And so as that extreme weirdness happens, uh, the voice sells it in service of something else. And I think that's where... Yeah, uh, that's where I draw the line. You want to make it weird. Is the familiar in the Hitchhiker's the voice guide. is the familiar. Yeah. You as the reader have a literal guidebook yeah. to yeah. all of the strange stuff that is going uh-huh. on in those books. Plus, the the point of Hitchhikers is that you are Arthur Dent, and so the 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 expectation that has been thrown down is everything is just going to seem right. strange. Everybody else gets this, but you. Yeah. That's kind of the joke. Let me ask this then. Have you guys experienced media or read books or stuff where the world building was too outlandish for you that it was hard for you to get into? Yes. And and I'm I'm going to apologize for it because I loved it anyway. Uh, Ian Banks, uh, Look to Windward, the opening sequence is a, a war battle thing in which we are just immersed in the POV of an alien who is essentially a six-legged giant ferret. And he never says, these are six-legged giant ferrets. I never get all at once a description to tell me where I am. And I read the first chapter and was lost as to who I was until I got to the end and thought, oh, I was actually kind of disappointed. Oh, these aren't people. This, it felt kind of very human. And then I read it again. And reading it again, I was fine. I felt like I was the target audience for this. I was absolutely the target audience for any Ian Banks novel. But that first chapter was too weird. 
on first reading. Ian Banks, his one buy for me is, if you have to read it again, read it again. This is going to be fine. You're going to love this. It's going to be okay. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Let's stop for our book of the week, which, Mary, you're going to give to us. Yeah, so this is The Nine by Tracy Townsend, which is, for me, right on the edge of Too Weird, but in ways that are, I, I like, finished the book and have been recommending it quite a bit. It's, um, it, it's, it feels like London, but, and it feels like a steampunk London, but there are these other creatures that are going through, and it's, it's a, it's, taking advantage of the many worlds theory. So it's it's a version of uh, of our London, but definitely on a different world. And there are these creatures that have their eyes in their feet. Um, That's different. It's, yeah. And, and so there's all of this very solid world building that goes from that single premise. But my brain is like, why would that evolve? And... Like and and then trying to picture it and trying to understand how it all works. So they they tend to be arboreal. They tend to do a lot of moving through trees. Um, they have ferocious teeth, but they have no eyes in their head. Their eyes are in their feet. It is, and it's and for me, like I think one of the the lines for me on the the, the weird factor is um, is how much time I spend trying to picture it in my head and if that's going to throw me out of the story. Now, I pitch this as book of the week because I think it's a a terrific heist novel. It's got great character building. The the steampunk makes sense frequently when I read steampunk. It's like, this does not, why, why, none of this makes sense. Um, There's so much to love about this book. But if you were looking for something that uh, is like, all right, we're getting, things are going to get weird. Uh, the the non-human races in this world are weird. There's also tree people who are um, will shave their bodies, plane their bodies to to take on specific shapes in order to cater to humans. Uh, it's like there's so much stuff in this book. It's just filled with what. <laughs> there's a, a ton of that, but uh, but mostly the reason you read it is because great characterization. Uh, and and just a, a thrilling heist novel. Awesome. That was The Nine. By Tracy Townsend. So tell me this, Mary, when you're working on short fiction, how do you budget your weirdness? So, um, so the it's actually surprisingly like television in that you, you do pretty much get the one by. You get the one thing that is, this is weird. Uh, mostly because everything that you put on the page, you have to spend words on to explain to the reader. 
And so when I'm trying to get the reader to understand something, I know that it's going to throw them out of the story. Um, and proportionally, that's going to take more of the more of the narrative than it would in a novel, even the same number of words. So I, I tend to also do one by for short fiction. Um, and usually the short story is something that is exploring that one idea. You know, something Margaret said earlier really kind of hit with me. We will have a podcast later in the year about how to make a story have world-building depth rather than just breadth, mm-hmm. um, which is the idea of taking concept and digging deep into it. You said earlier this monolith uh, story that you were working on, the idea being that you get your one buy as the monolith, but that doesn't mean that can be the o- that has to be the only weird thing. You are just going to connect any other interesting um, uh, science fiction fantasy elements through the monoliths. Right, right. The the idea in this series, and, and I think I can safely talk about what we might have done had this been a thing. Uh, my apologies, Jesse Alexander, if I'm spilling anything here. Um, but, you know, in the, fir- in the pilot episode, there are these giant monoliths, and everybody is dealing with the fact that these things have, have erupted out of the ground. After that, other strange things starts to happen, but it kind of comes at you one at a time. And I think that speaks to what Mary was talking about in the short story and the idea of, you know, that subjective line of how weird is too weird. You know, when you lose your audience, it's too weird. Mm -hmm. Anything up to that point, not too weird. Um, when I started in film school, one of the things they told us that the only firm rule of screenwriting is you can't be too boring for too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try that's, to cut the boring we, stuff. Th- yeah, th- that's a that's a really good rule mm-hmm. for everything. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I've I've thought about this a lot when I've been teaching my class. I've I've said to my students, you know, world building is the place where you generally are given more leeway. If you can keep your characters relatable, it doesn't matter how weird it gets as long as that character remains familiar. Now, sometimes that character, you want to be part of the weird, and then you're going to do other things to ground us. Uh, I really like what we've come up with, this Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing, where, you know, the guide is the normal, um, and everything else can be a little weird or a lot weird. (laughs) Um, I'm thinking about this in terms of, of budget, Mm-hmm. And and let me give you a let me, let me give you an analog or a, an analogy. Uh, the concept of social capital. People will often ask me, "Oh, will you plug my Kickstarter?" Well, I have a limited amount of social capital. If I plug your Kickstarter, then I'm digging myself into a hole when the time comes to plug mine. As you are writing, as you are introducing weird things as you are spending time on exposition, but it really needs to be exposed, as you are spending time on navel-gazing, but you really want to dig into this emotion, all of these things are coming out of a budget. And I don't know how exactly uh, readers quantify the budget as they are reading, or television viewers quantify that budget. But if you think about it as a budget, you are doing a thing that is challenging the reader, and if you go too far, you lose them. And boring is challenging because a slog is challenging. How weird is too weird? Uh, When you've gone over budget, it's too weird. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I would rely a lot um, on your beta readers, mm-hmm. on yeah. early early looks at things. Also, I think uh, learning curve, we haven't even touched on in this, but I do think if you add your weirdness on slowly, building off of other weirdness, then you can have things that feel perfectly normal by the end, that if you would have thrown at uh, the reader in the first chapter, you would have been in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, we're going to do our homework. Margaret, you've got our homework this time. Yes. The homework today is to, or your homework today, if you choose to accept it, (laughs) take a project that you are working on uh, and figure out what your one buy is. Can you narrow down to one science fictional or fantastical element that is the core to the story you are telling and have everything flow from that? Excellent. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 